Hey, and welcome to Honest Pod, the podcast where each week we pick something different to ramble on about. Current events. Personal growth. Unicorning. Oh. And shoehorning. Ooh, I'm Ashley McAllister. And I'm Matthew Alley. And this is episode one, zero, trois. No, I need another language. Uh, I've just right. I've typed Dress. in something, um, and I typed in one o three when I wanted to type in something else. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> Un, dos, tres. Uno, dos, tres. Yes. Um, the girlies yeah. say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. Dum, 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 dum. Is that 103? Does he say 103? He goes, oh. Un, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. Great song. Who sings that? Uh, Offspring. Okay. That's good. Do you remember Wheatus? Teenage Dirtbag. That's a legendary song. I'm just brilliant, brilliant song. Because I'm just. Who was in the video of that? Oh, the girl from American Beauty was in the video for that. I think. Yeah, yeah, and American Pie. She was as well, wasn't she? She was, was in American Pie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, she was American Pie. Yeah. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ashley. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Um, I had so much sleep last night. I feel energized. That's good. You do struggle with sleep. I do in the heat as well. I do. It's not hot in the rooms, though, isn't it? I think even though it's hot outside for the... I guess I'm wrong. It's... <laughs> my, attic room, my attic room is boiling, but I spent the weekend at Craig's, and his whole... It... His... They, they have the house, the heating turned on all day, 23 degrees. Listen. And then the mom sleeps with a fan on because she's too hot, and I'm like... Turn down the heat. <laughs> Just that doesn't turn make it sense. Down. She's like, let me use double the energy as opposed to none of the energy in the house. She's global warming. She's climate <laughs> she's, change. She's fucking warming me up. Woof. As a result of all the sweating, I got a massive spot right in the middle of my... Literally, it could not be placed better. Obviously, I've got concealer on it. <laughs> I was wondering why it wasn't red. Yeah, it's right. Can you see it there? I mean, I saw it. Yeah. There, there, and there. I mean, I squeezed this mat and the amount of crap that came out of this. I'm just so, I have to say this, and I did have him as a teenager on my arms and chest, but it's, it's just something I'm so thankful that I don't have to go through on my face. Because I've not had a spot on my forehead for a long, long time, but it came up and it, I've just, the first thing I did was buy all those products that I spent a fortune on before. How's your week been? My week has been good. I've had a really nice week, had a few really dodgy customer experiences, but apart from that, it's been good. Should I tell you about them? Yeah, of course. Right. Number I'll tell one. you why you're wrong, because I know you're a terrible customer. This is the problem. You are a terrible customer. If there's a man well, just... named for Karen, which I think there is one, but I cannot remember what it is. You are that. So, I first one, Hummingbird Bakery. Overrated, but yes, carry on. Overrated, okay. Um, I love them, and they do really nice... Well, the only thing they do now is gluten-free red velvet cupcakes. Um, they used to do a bit more, but their gluten-free selection has dwindled. Um, it's Corona, bitch. Don't roll your eyes. Selections are less. No, it was before Corona. Oh, fair. Yeah. Um, so the gluten-free range has dwindled. But I go over there, and I queue outside... And they have a sign... Before you can see the sign in the door, it says... Well, the sign in the door says two people at a time. Um, they also do delivery. So ahead of us in the queue is a group of three girls. Um, delivery, delivery drivers coming and going. I'm there with Craig. And we the group of three girls go in. They get their cupcakes. They leave. Whilst they're in there, delivery drivers come and go throughout this whole thing. Then... The three girls leave. This one guy ahead of us goes in and delivery drivers come in and come out. He then leaves and there's one delivery driver still left in. So the both of us go in and we're holding hands. The both of us walk in and the lady says, oh, guys, you have to wait outside. We're like, oh, why? So it's two customers at a time. I'm like, well, that's delivery and he's over at a different counter. She goes, doesn't matter. He counts as a customer. I'm like, all right. I said to Craig, well, it's the first time you're at Hummingbirds, so why don't you stay in and see what it, what you want? Because I know what I can get. Like, there's fuck all I can choose from. But for you, there's a few more. And he goes, no, no, he'll wait. And then, then we go in, and she serves us. 
And whilst we're in there, they invite another Uber driver in, which just really, really, really pissed me off. So I was, I was, I was, I was mad. I was because when we were when we were put outside, the family behind us said, "Is everything all right?" She goes, "Well, it just says that they're not allowed more than two customers at a time." She goes, "That doesn't make any sense because there's been like at least five people in there at one time." I'm like, "I know." So in my head, it was homophobic. Okay, it's Hummingbird Cafe, bitch. Bakery. Well, this is it, and I I emailed them and I said, "Look." Uh, I, I said, you've got a lot of free time on your hands. I am furloughed. I do. <laughs> um, I said, I know you are an inclusive blah, blah, blah. And they, they were very quick in calling back saying, I can reassure you that it was nothing like that. And I go, but how do you know? Cause you've not actually spoken to the team yet. And she goes, well, they said it wasn't like how you described it. That was their response. They're, they, they, no, they're saying it. Cause I had said, you know, given the, the facts that I had seen and that we were the only two that were asked to Stand outside and wait. You did not just say that it was homophobic to them. I no, I I I said I didn't say it was homophobic. I said the only th- reason I can think of that we were separated was because we had gone in holding hands. Well, that's the way I perceived it. That was my experience. I have not said anything. Just continue. I know. Well, that's my experience. Um, and she goes, I can I can guarantee you it would not have been homophobic. And I go, I said, I can get that you are saying that, and I think. Obviously, you have to say that. And I'd like to believe you. I've been a fan of the brand for years, bought cookbooks, fattened myself up nicely on your cakes. Thank you. But my experience wasn't one of inclusivity. It was one that I had walked into a shop with my partner. And given that customers before us had gone in groups of three, had customers up to five, it seemed odd to me as a person walking in holding hands of their same-sex partner that that is the moment that your sales assistant decided to enforce the two-customer rule. And then she said to me, oh, I mean, she must have got confused. Maybe she came off a break and didn't realize. I was like, no, no, no. It was, she was her. It was her. It wasn't, there was, there's no, there's no, you can't get confused. If the sign says two customers, but then you're letting five in at some point. But whenever I go in and there's a total of three, you're telling me I have, we have to separate and let two in. But then once we're in, then you invite other people in. I said, it seems very strange. She was like, I can guarantee you it's not. And I was like, well, could you check with the team, please? Because... You've just called me straight away. You've not spoken to anyone there on the day. She said something. And I said, well, even if that isn't the case, like even if you are a very inclusive brand and you do that, this could have been a case of unconscious bias. You need to speak to the team and let me know the outcome because I don't, as much as I appreciate you call me quickly to pin down this accusation or alleged homophobic experience I had, my experience is my experience. And there's no, looking at the facts, there's no other way for me to, interpret that i fear that you may have taken our lessons over the past two years a bit too literal (laughs) Um, what do you mean because i can't support you in this i cannot why tell me why tell me out of the experience i had it was potentially not homophobic i'm not saying it was homophobic at all I mean, if you are, you should, but you're not, so you won't. And that's different. You're alluding to the fact. So it's either you say it or you don't, right? But you did say unconscious bias. And what is the outcome? What is your what, what is your preferred outcome to that complaint? Because people complain for a reason and they want an outcome or they want to vent, right? As someone who's worked in customer services, they mm-hmm. either want something or they want to vent. And it's one or the I, other. What is your I don't want anything. Outcome? I don't want anything. Personally, I don't want anything. Um, I would just, well, I'm just tell you what I do want. I want an experience where I can go and buy cupcakes and have the same rules applied to me as the people who were I had three, four, five, six customers ahead of me. Because the sales assistant didn't seem to care about it being two customers only when it was three girls and two Uber drivers or one guy and two Uber drivers. It was only whenever it was two gay guys and one Uber driver that she was like, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. It's two only at a time. But I think you can make the same point without alluding to the fact that it might be that because all of those things may be correct or not. And that would be fine because one of the issues, one of the things that's really important, I think, for people to remember, and this is where people might say that like the race card is thrown out or this is a conversation I'm having with like, you know, my people around me about women's rights and stuff is there is this case where people might, one of the complaints is people will then use it all the time. And that's important to consider because sometimes you have to pick your battles when it comes to what is the most impactful mm-hmm. thing. I don't know if that is the fight 
that we want to have when it comes to people addressing their unconscious bias and how they treat queer people or people of color or age people like that that might not be it because like i say do you remember mm. you went on do you remember you went on a do you remember you went on a date with a guy and then he was like was that you it was let's just anyway we'll talk about it yeah I don't it know if it me. was you yeah, it was you. And you were like, he did that because I was black. And I was like, how did you draw that conclusion based on what had happened? Right. And I think that this is one of those areas where it may well could have been true. It just might not be the fight for that day. It it, it, it can be sensitive and people are fighting, you know, fighting for these things. I can only say for me, I don't know if that is that is the day that I would pick that, especially when it's so loose from a brand that is known Well, to, I mean, literally every gay loses their shit over a five out of ten rainbow cake as far as i'm concerned and i don't like sprinkles okay i love sweets and it's overly sweet but but we still lose that shit over a, a rainbow cake on that on that point just because a brand puts a rainbow flag out every june does not you know to the points that we make every single year when it comes to pride they need to do more and if being doing more is hiring staff that are inclusive and won't turn out customers because they're holding hands um or in it in, enforce the two customer rule the only time we're in that queue for 20 minutes and the only time somebody was turned out of that door was it was ever me craig and one uber driver i can imagine why waiting in line for 20 minutes would be frustrating and why then everything else around I don't it mind might be frustrating well anyway the lady i complained to she's on maternity leave now and she did say i, may, I won't get back to you to friday but then i'm after friday my maternity leave and i'm like well, i didn't hear from you on friday so I don't know whether I'll follow up or not. I probably won't. It might be worth leaving that one. I think I've said my piece. <laughs> well, I've got big. I have got bigger fish to fry with Uber. So Uber, right? So I would order a taxi from my house to go to Euston. The quickest way from my house to Euston Station is through Waterloo. When I book my Uber on the app, it tells me it's going to take me through Waterloo. It's going to cost me. 13 whatever quid, 1376 are usually pretty specific, even though they say, this is just an estimate. We go in the taxi, and they don't want to go through central London. They want to go up and around to avoid the congestion charge. I'm like, literally on Friday, I was like, can you please go the Waterloo route? No, I'm not taking you to the Waterloo route. And I was like, well, why not? Because I get charged congestion, and then I'll lose money on this ride. And I'm like, but this is literally the route that I booked. I said, I don't care what route you go. But I need to get to Euston at the station at the time that I said I'd get there for. And it's long to circumnavigate. Like, I know that it is it's long to go around the congestion yeah, judge. It it will take it we've done it they've done it before. We've done it before and we've missed trains. For those that might listen um, to this and not be in the UK, in London oh in London, in the central centre of London, there's an additional charge just to enter in a car. And now in lockdown in particular, they've extended those times dramatically and increased the price because they need to start taxing people. And so you have to, to get from North London to South London, for example, you can either go through it or around it. And going around it is hell. I first of all checked. I said, do you know the destination before you collect me? He goes, no, no, I only find it when I get outside. And I'm like, okay. They always say that, yeah. So what if I was going into central London? He was like, I wouldn't take you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have accepted this route. And I'm like, but you wouldn't have known until I got into the car where I was going to go. And he goes, yeah. So I just would have told you I can't take you. And I'm like, what type of customer experience is that? And he's like, it's not my fault. I don't want to get charged. And I'm like, well, I booked this. Anyway, I ended up just jumping out of the car and he still charged me. He still charged me six quid. I've done that before. Anyway. I've been like drunk. And then I've been like, oh, I need to, they tried to go the wrong route. And then I get an argument. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, just take me the way that I was supposed to. They don't. So I'm like, stop here. Then I get out. And as I get out, I open every door, then leave. <laughs> well, I wanted, <laughs> I, I got off at Oval and decided to get the tube. And I said, you know what? I'm not even going to close this fucking door. And I was like, no, I'm above this. I'm going to close the door. No, I, well, I, I'm drunk. So I'm like, no, fine. Open, open. And I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why I have such a low rating on Uber. This week, we've got a lovely guest on, Becky, who um, in honor, well, today's, it'll come out the day after, on the 31st of March. So yesterday is um, the Transgender Day of Visibility. And we, as we start getting more guests on, and we've recognized, or I have, I'd say myself, that within my idea of what queer is, and Ash as I well, mean, that yeah. is still very particular, very narrow. I mean, we've only had our first woman on, for example, um, a cisgender woman, pardon me. And so we've got Becky, who's a transgender female and also has a lot of experience in rugby, which is also amazing because we love to shoehorn in our trans issues and trans rugby issues. You know, so I just want to get it in again. Yes. 
I want to get it in again so they can just take it. All right. And if so yeah. this is a trigger warning. If you don't like shoehorning, don't listen. Because it was happening again and it's gone happen now. Do you know what? I love a good shoehorn because it just it sears my fingers when I'm trying to squeeze on those shoes. I don't, I'm just too lazy to untie and tie up again. So I leave the laces tied. I like just oh the wee shoehorn, shoehorn in the f- foot. I didn't know that that was what it was. I forgot. Uh, that's what a shoehorn, a shoehorn is. Yeah, of course. Shit. You know when you just realise two words make th- the same thing? Yes. Ah. Yes. No, he's an idiot. No, he's an idiot. You know, I might go back to home, hummingbird and like be an idiot for buying the homophobic cakes. Shoehorn. But shoehorn. Yes, 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 yes. For those who are listening to this episode for the first time, we're obviously referencing that one star review we got from that person who just who just did not like the fact that people of queer, one of them being black, talks about Black Lives Matter and trans rugby rights. Well, I mean, anyway. not that big issues, but yeah. So we're going to have Becky on. Small issues. Tiny. <laughs> Just right, right. Oh. now. Welcome back, everyone. And we're here with Becky. Hello, Becky. Hi, how are you? Good. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, very good. Uh, long day at work today. A couple more days and it's Easter holidays. So looking forward to uh, some time off. I'm going down to home to Cornwall to see, uh, see my dad in the Easter break. So uh, see my mum as well. Spend some time down there with family because that's where I'm from. So yeah. it's just a stunning part of the country. I was really fortunate to grow up down there. That's where I spent all my childhood. Swimming, surfing, fishing playing sports, playing rugby, you know, big, big rugby following down there in Cornwall. So, yeah, just really lucky. Cornwall's beautiful. Um, my ex was from Cornwall, so we went down a few times, but it's, it reminds me very much of back home in Ireland. Like, it's yeah. just all um, beachy and... Um, and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from the north coast of Ireland, so, Ireland, so it's just, like, it's beautiful. Yeah. You could walk from the beach to the forest to a hill in, like, five minutes of each other. Yeah. It's, um, you've already started telling us a little bit about yourself, but um, we brought you on just to learn a little bit about you and your story and also just talk a bit about um, playing sport and rugby as a trans person. But just to give us a background, so what is it that you do and um, tell us a little bit more about your life in Cornwall? So I I grew up in Cornwall, moved there at the age of seven from Bristol and grew up down there and had an amazing childhood, you know, like I said, with the sports beaches, played for my county and region, playing football, rugby and did athletics, so I was very sporty. Later on, went into cooking, was a chef for a few years, um, worked my way up to head chef of a restaurant and then um, decided I had enough, didn't want to work the long hours for not particularly great pay. So I went back to university, trained as a teacher and then ended up in Kent. Um, whilst in Cornwall, I played rugby for St. Ives Rugby Club. Um, and when I go back, I still see a few of the, the lads who I used to play with. Um, that was quite a topic of conversation when that when this all happens. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when I moved to Kent, I played for Folkestone first team for a few years, and then stopped that sort of when I started thinking about transitioning and met my current wife. Told her three months in, and she still stayed with me and married me, so that was really cool. Um, so that was really lovely. Um, not many people would have done that, so we're still married. Um, just I think. <laughs> She can't um, get the voice recorder working. She's out. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. She's my technical advisor on all the technology. She's the gadget queen. So she sorts all that out. And then I worked at the same school um, down in New Romney um, for 13 years, doing all sorts of things, taught PE, um, food tech, health and social care, and um, just started playing rugby for Ashford Ladies Club. Two years ago, well, we would have played this year, but for the pandemic, but two years ago, I've been signed for them now uh, and playing rugby for them. I do a lot of sea fishing as well, mm. uh, representing my country for England ladies fishing. Not contact sport, but still very, very hostile towards trans women in sport. But not, not everybody, don't get me wrong, it's not everybody, mm. but there was a lot mm. of hostility towards me um, to the point where my coach, who's my friend, still won't tell me what was said and things like that because it was that horrific but 
I'm not the sort of person that lets that affect me so much. I just generally get on with it. And to me, it's just, I was always taught that if somebody, if you're, somebody's doing that to you, they're doing it because you're, you're a challenge to them, mm. so to speak. So I yeah. just use it for fuel to my fire just to try that little bit harder in things and work a bit harder. But I know some people aren't, a lot of, a lot of trans individuals aren't like that. A lot mm. of my friends who aren't like that, very emotional, they've, you know, they've lost a lot in their lives. And I've been very fortunate. I'm one of the fortunate ones of my family and friends have been amazing. I've not had any negativity really to deal with him personally, not lost any brothers, sisters or anything. So that's been really amazing. Like I say, a lot of trans individuals, uh, men and women, lose their families, lose everything, self-harm. It's horrific. And I just count myself lucky. How old were you when you started to transition? Um, quite late. Growing up in St Ives in Cornwall wasn't particularly... Um, maybe if I was in the city centre, I would have seen more and had somebody to contact obviously down in Cornwall there's you know probably much like Ireland there's not you know who do I talk to who do I see to and it was before I'm 43 so when I was a teen growing up the internet was just coming out Mm. you know it's not like now you can go online and find all this help um, and people to speak to and I started transitioning so it would have been 2015 2015 something like that it's relatively recently, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I've only I've only been full time at work for about this will be the sixth year this Christmas. Mm. So that was an experience coming out of school. Next day going one day and then going in the next day is me and then all the kids looking through the doors and trying to oh see. Oh my gosh. So yeah, and that's a secondary school as well. So how has it been at the school for you overall, would oh, you say? I, I've been really lucky. My school's really supportive. The kids have been amazing haven't had really had any issues and a lot of the kids you can sit down and just have a conversation with and if they don't understand something or they've got a question that's why I'm so open because they've got questions they want to know and it's better they learn it from me who's been through it than um, people who or just hear it on the news or hear the misinformation that's mm-hmm. about and maybe a comment that's passed by their family or you know or a friend who might just go, oh, yeah, well, they're all wrong in the head or whatever. You know, they need to see, actually, that they're normal, real people. It's just... And for a lot of people, particularly where we are, because it's a coastal rural school, won't have the interactions that maybe kids will have in London. They won't have that pool of... Um, certainly don't have it um, with ethnicity or religion, They and they don't have it with LGBT either, because mm-hmm. it's a very typical you know mostly white british school and until you grow up or you've been and visited places you doesn't broaden your horizons um so yeah but they're very good with it i've never had any issues that's amazing that's so good what kind of things did the kids ask you not so much now but when it first happened it was like um they'd obviously get questions oh your eyebrows look really nice miss and this was like before i started coming out at school they're like what have you done to your eyebrows, Miss? Because things started to change beforehand. Mm. I, was, I was this PE teacher that was quite masculine. And so what made you think like that? And, you know, what do you have to do? Do you have to go? And then when I had the operation, it was a whole host of other questions. It was <laughs> some bordering on probably inappropriate, but, you know, you try and sort of work around them. So, oh, does it hurt? Or does that mean you have a period, Miss? You know, those kind of questions. And you're like, no, you, it, it doesn't work. So can you be pregnant, miss? It's like, but it's, they're a lack of understanding. They just don't know. And I feel like a lot of adults would ask those questions as well. I, I like, to yeah. be fair. <laughs> well, we've had some interesting conversations at Ashford Rugby Club. I mean, they've been amazing. They've been really good. But some of the older players, you know, they've seen me play. And I, I've, I've played to quite a high level compared to the ladies who I play with. I'm not the I'm not the biggest. I'm not the fastest. I'm 43. I'm quite slow for my age now, and I just plod along and do. But I get away with a lot because of my experience. Because I play quite a high level, um, and you know I ta- I've got all the right technique for tackling. And you've got a lot of ladies coming in who've only played for like a year or two. And when they're their family or some of the men's teams, they come in and sit and watch the men's and have a chat. And they go, right, we've got some questions. We just don't get it. I said, how can you? transition and you be 
So I, I like women still, and your wife is straight. How does that work? And I was like, well, sexuality is nothing comes after when you when you decide to transition. If you're a woman, you can like a man or a woman or both. And they're like, oh right, that just seems complicated. And then they ask, so what? We don't get it. We just don't understand why you would want to transition. So was it painful? Was it you know? What do they do? And they go like, what, what do they do with your nuts? When you had the operation, what do they do with your nuts? I said, they're probably in a jar somewhere in the hospital. <laughs> but yeah. know, they, they, they don't know. And they, they say, so what do they do for the operation then? And they, like, you're explaining to them how, they, how the operation works and all the treatment you've got to go through and all the psychological assessments. And that actually you've got to justify to other people who you are. Nobody else has to do that. If you're mm. lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, you don't have to go through courts and psychologists to go, oh, this is who I am. But I have to do that. And every trans person has to do that if they want to transition. And then you have to get permission to play sport. I get that. And I'm quite on board with, you know, the safety concerns. I get that, uh, especially as a PE teacher background, I get the safety concerns. But you have to ask permission for everything you do. You know, legally, if I go into the bank, I have to ask permission to change my name. I have to ask permission to get my passport changed, to get my NHS number. So it's constantly asking for somebody to say, yeah, it's okay, you can do that. You're not nuts and you've got support. If you haven't got emotional support, they won't let you do it. And you're like, well, maybe I'd be happier if I was allowed to choose for myself. But, you know, that's not the case at the minute and it still seems a long way off at the minute. How did you gain... We'll talk about rugby just for a minute because that's something that we've been talking about a lot about the the trans ban and stuff because I've got questions based around what you played at a high level before and how that might translate into what you play now. But did you need to get permission to play rugby now at the moment? Yeah, so I had to... Um, so when I... I had to submit my blood tests to make sure testosterone levels were lower so that they were in within a female range and actually they're lower than most females. So to be honest, they'll probably be lower than the average female that... There are. I mean, I mean, you've got women who've got PCOS or polycystic ovaries who've got really high testosterone levels, almost in the male range, the much mm. way down from that. Um, obviously, I had to get medical notes and that. I just, for me personally, it was like I need to send them that just to show them that I'm willing to. It, I mean, I'm quite open. I don't, I don't get offended. I say if somebody needs to see something medical, it's like. Just have a look at it. As long as I'm meeting your requirements, that's fine. But I can see how other people might see it as an invasion of privacy. Um, I'm not that sensitive, but others are. But I understand why those protocols are there to make sure that it's safe for women um, physically. And I understand mm. that. Do you feel there are concerns about the safety of women in rugby when it comes to transgender people? I get the concerns, but you've got a sport where there's already, if you've got... I mean, I've played rugby since the age of 11. I played mini rugby. And I played against guys when I was mini. When I, was mini I wasn't particularly big when I was small, when I was a kid. Yeah. I was playing against kids who were, you know, the size of adults. And, I, you know, when you play men's rugby, you've got a, a scrum half who might be five foot six, and you've got a second row who's six foot eight. Mm. You've already got those disparities in size, both in women's and in all sports. In all sports, you've got those disparities in size. And rugby is the one sport that was okay for you to be different sizes to play. You know, if you were a big lad and not particularly quick, or right, you usually chucked in the front row, but, you know, or in the pack. Generally, that's, that's the old... Yeah. There was a position for everybody. Yeah. You know, and even when I played men's rugby... I got put in the front row because nobody else wanted to do it. So I played loose head at 15 stone against guys who were 25 stone. Now, that's that's not fair. That's a 10 stone advantage. And at any level, that's a, mm. you know, that's a struggle. You know, they're not, not being particularly talented skill-wise, but mm. you try shifting 10 stone. I think there's more dangers with, and I've said this to several people, with the lack of experience. I've, I've played women's rugby now for two seasons and I've seen more injuries from novices 
coming in, not being able to coach, uh, not not being have played the sport long enough, tackling poorly, upright with a whiplash mm. injury, injury, clashing heads because they've tackled with their head up, putting their head in the wrong place, scrummaging in the wrong thing. They've got back injuries, neck injuries. I haven't hurt a single person. I might have hit somebody hard, but because I've done it in the correct technique and put it the right way, they get up and there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. And, and I don't, they're not looking at the whole picture. They're looking at a simple grip strength test, which is what was done. So that, yeah, they're not compare, com, there's not a comparison between, nobody's asked me to go and be tested. There's, there's three active women, trans women in the whole of English rugby, three. And none of us have been asked to go and do a comparative test to do with fitness, to do with physique against somebody of the same age or size or whatever. And I know that if I went to, I, I couldn't compete against the top ladies in, in their, you know, the premiership or in England. I'm not fit. I mean, maybe when I was younger, but I'm not fit enough or strong enough now. Mm. And, they, and they don't seem to be taking into account the effect of the medication and the operation and that they, they go, Oh yeah, but you still got an advantage because of this. So, so the only advantage I've got is because of my experience. I can see where there's a gap. I can see, where you there's a there's a dog leg i can see where there's space behind to kick the ball where a lot of girls in developing rugby clubs they don't have that experience in their teams it's quite interesting you say you know like they don't take into account how your body might change when you go through a process um with you know hormones or surgery and things like that how, do you know and this is me just thinking about now do you know how the ban affects people that transition but maybe not medically straight away because, I mean, it's a whole process as far as I understand. And obviously you start at one point and continue yeah. to transition. I mean, some, I mean, whether you go medically full transition, that's your choice. You don't have to. That's something that I chose to do. And I can see that some who may not have an operation or whatever, that might be, to me, that would... I can understand why women might feel uncomfortable if a trans woman's playing who still has the same genitalia as they were born with, and that would make them uncomfortable. I wouldn't feel comfortable if I was in a male change room now, as they're proposing in America and places mm. like that, you know, using the toilet of your the, your birth. I'm like, really? Have you seen trans men? Trans men, look, you wouldn't know the difference, some of them, you know, because testosterone has that massive effect on your body. Mm. You know, you can imagine a trans man going into the change room into the supposing that their, the gender they were born in. It just, it, and they're saying, why don't you form your own team? There's three of us. It's a non-starter. If you don't medically transition and you don't have the operation, I can see why you could say there might be more of an advantage. But that's why they have the safeguards in place. They do it a case-by-case -case basis. I think there's that stereotype that, oh, this this man is going to be playing women's rugby, mm. must be six foot tall, built like a tank, not look feminine, but that's not the case. I, I'm quite well built. I, I get, I've still got my physique, you know, my shape from rugby, okay, including the gut that goes with it. And it just, not, they're not, most trans women aren't like that. They're quite feminine and they just, you wouldn't know the difference if they're playing between, if they were just, if it was cisgendered women on the pitch. Yeah, I, I unfortunately don't fit that category because of my size and my shape and the sport I used to play. So I get that. Yeah. Um, and I do stand out a bit more, but I'm OK with that. That's that's me. That's, that's I'm, I'm OK with that. Um, I think um, one of the one of the good things you uh, brought up there is rug rugby is a sport that I've always grown up thinking is a sport for everyone, no matter what your size, speed, whatever. It's it's for anyone, and that was always a perk of playing rugby over football, because football you always have everyone in my head had to be that athletic, skinny guy who was able to run fast and kick balls, and I'm I'm shit. <laughs> so yeah. I'm um I thought rugby was a better sport for me, and interestingly enough, like you say, it's even in I think we we I've been in Japan rugby, yeah. Matt, you've been in Japan rugby. I've had some it's, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, there's nothing to do. Like, I, as a you know, as a guy, I play against other guys and I get injured doing it. It's, yeah. it's, and it's down to and that 100 as you say, it was bad technique. I tackled badly. I paid the price. 
So that technique um, is so important because in a, we play for a rugby club that introduced new adults to rugby within the Kings Cross Steelers, and the most horrific injuries are coming from the really beginning levels. And I don't know because falling when being tackled is a technique that you need to learn, and it is bad. Yeah. The legs are broken, ankles, and I'm like, I don't know how you did this because the the impact isn't even hard. They're not playing high octane rugby like some of our right. first team do. No, I, I, it's just honestly, I've seen some absolute shockers. Um, from girls like will literally faces smashed in because they they don't want to get their body in that position. Mm. They think mm. if they put their head down there, their head's going to get hurt, their neck's going to get hurt. But actually, you're going to do more injuries tackling upright, whipping like that, or getting smashed in the face by somebody else's head. Um, I actually wanted to ask a little bit about your own personal journey because I'm quite interested about maybe like um, the age that you started to transition and told your wife yeah. and in particular what were the feelings like growing up did did you know growing up that you may not be the gender that you were assigned at birth I had an inkling from about the age of 12 um, used to sort of take mum's clothes and things like that it's generally how it starts and then you go through periods of uh purging where you get stuff and you start dressing and then you go oh no that's not right i'm i'm, I'm that's wrong so you you're struggling with it in your head and i see that now as i'm older i see that that's sort of mm. kind of the journey you get stuff and you go oh yeah no i can do that and then you go no no, no I'm, I'm i'm not doing that that's wrong um partly because you have nobody to talk to about it and somebody's go, do you know what it's actually okay you know, if you're questioning yourself, it's okay to do that, but you need support in that. So I did that from the age. Well, once I left home and I'd gone to uni and places like that, I purged and done that kind of thing five or six times. Um, went sometimes went two two years without dressing and things like that. Um, particularly when I went back to university to train, it's something I just it just didn't do. It was on my mind. Um, but I just didn't do because I didn't have the opportunity, you know, sharing a house with students doesn't really lend itself to, to doing that kind of thing. Um, and then it sort of come out more once I moved to, got a job and I moved to Kent with the woman I was with at the time, it just, just started to raise its head again. And then again, purged and then our relationship broke down and um, I met, met my current wife and about three months in I we had not a row but I got quite upset I just said to that I need to be on my own I need to tell you and she goes what's up what have I done you know because it was quite an intense our relationship when we met it was quite intense you know it was like we met we went from first date laid it all on the line about everything apart from the trans issue um said we just we're tired of being messed around so it was like first date and we got everything out on the on the table and then three months later told her what I felt like and she goes is that it and I was like oh hang on there's somebody here who you know is gonna gonna listen and just be understanding and she's South African so she comes from quite a you know parents quite religious but they're Mm. amazing they're amazing people they're lovely people initially they thought our relationship wouldn't work but we've kind of proved them wrong that actually we're very much in love and you know it yeah we have our difficulties it's not a normal relationship and things it does put stress on it um when we when I was going through my transition it was like you know you're happy for me to start medication my hormones and she was supporting me we're going to the doctors together um she was supportive and she was like I just need time to adjust so we sort of had a time plan of going right we'll do this for now. And after a couple of years, we'll do this. It just mentally gave her time to adjust. So we didn't rush into it. We didn't go, right, it's all got to happen tomorrow, which is what happened. A lot of trans individuals go, I I don't want this body. I don't want this. I want it to change. I want it to be different tomorrow, but it doesn't work like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. the waiting list now is crazy. I mean, you're looking at five years to get your surgery. Sometimes depending on what, what support you get um and there are ways to trim the time down and there are things you can do yourself but i don't think a lot of people are aware of it because they're still struggling with that idea do i am i going to lose my family am i going to lose my job am i you know i'm lucky i was in i'm a teacher there's nothing really the school can do they've got to support me you know but other people aren't fortunate if they're working for an employer who's a complete 
bigger and that and particularly works in certain trades like not all of them but yeah. again it's a generalization but if you work in a very like construction or truck driving i've got a few friends who are truck drivers who are trans they've had a horrific time mm. because not all of them are supportive um much like the, going back to the fishing, it's a certain. Not, I'm not saying all again, all anglers are like that. A lot of them are really supportive, but there's this core in society that just won't accept it. That just struggle with the idea that you know when you say there's more than one gender, they go, no, there's two, male, female, and they mm. can't understand that gender is a mental concept. Sex, sexuality is. Your sex is what it's is male, female, but gender is a mental construct and they don't get that. It's a conversation I'm having in my own households, to be fair. Um, and, you know, a member of my family is just like, I will not accept. And it's difficult because you come from a place of you can never tell me otherwise. Like it's impossible to then have a conversation because you've already drawn the line. Yeah, there's, there's no budget. And that's the thing. You can't, you will not, edu- I'm going to say this the way, you will never educate stupid. And, and, and I know that sounds quite harsh, but mm. if you've already formed your opinion and you're not willing to listen and go, oh, I never thought of it like that or never see it from somebody else's point of view, then how can you ever move on? You're just going to be this rigid thinker. That's my tunnel vision. That's how I think. I'm not going to be, I don't care what's going on here or around. Or, and it's probably because I'm a teacher that actually mm. I've got to be more aware because I've got students that I teach that, I've got to, my job is to make them aware of what's going on out there. You know, it's not just about the subjects I teach, it's about what's happening in the world and, you know, what, you know, what's right and what's wrong and what's more, what was morally right. You know, how would you feel if somebody turned around to you tomorrow and said, right, because you're a girl, you can't play this or because you're six foot tall, you're not allowed to play this. You know, you're starting down a slippery slope when you start banning people from taking part in things, where does it stop? Can you not play tennis or let's, let's look at other sports and go, right, because you're a certain size now. I know they have weight categories for certain sports, which is right. Mm. But certain sports like basketball, right, you can't play you know, basketball. Some of the players are five foot ten. They're playing against guys who are seven foot six. Yeah. You know, you might go down the route and start going, right, well, you can't play because you're too small. You can't play because you're, you're too... You're too big, but you know, so many people are born with advantages. Michael Phelps was born with an advantage. You know, you look at um the Venus sisters, they were bigger and stronger. Yeah. And they had an advantage physically. Usain Bolt, his stride pattern, you know, all of all of these people had an advantage when they were born. Mm. You know, you look at Casa Samea, that's a shocking she's had to stop her sport. Yeah. Stop her sport. She was born a woman born into sex, no thought of her own, and she's been kicked out of her own sport, born as a woman. You know, and it, it seems to be coming more and more. I was just on, on chat tonight with a group in America, the 20 states that are trying to ban trans kids from playing in high school sports. They're trying to make it legislation to ban kids from taking part in sport. And it's just gaining more weight from people like... Um, the the women's groups um which are fair play for women mm. you've got people supporting it like um sharon davis and uh, all of those sports stars who are supporting this thing it's gaining weight and it's we haven't got a voice you know they're getting all the media attention but we don't get any media attention yeah because um the person who connected us um actually went for a position within this country as part of the rfu's um diversity inclusion board and wasn't able to get onto that position but there's no one that represents anyone who's transgender um despite the fact that that is literally a hot topic at the moment um and i wanted to ask you in particular it's difficult i guess in some ways because it's unfair one because you're one person and your experience is different but also maybe because you transitioned much older but the issue with transitioning and transgender issues with children is such a big topic mm. today in America. Um, there's been like a second wave of a ban basically for doctors to administer any medical care to trans children in Arkansas. And we've had discussions, which is unfair for us in some ways, about what is right for kids to be able to do and to have and when can they decide. Do you have any opinions about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I might then define the question if we need to. <laughs> um, so, I mean, quite, we we used to run a help run a support group locally, and we had lots of trans kids and parents come to us for support. Now, in the I mean, as a teacher, I've come across kids who are transgendered or who are struggling with their gender identity. In your school? Um, not um, not in my school necessarily. But oh, in, in school school age. In, in schools, you know, within the the um you know, education system. Mm. And there are loads of kids out there who are struggling with their gender identity or their sexuality and parents need somewhere to go. And there's nowhere for them to go really because they go to their doctors, their doctors, their GPs have no idea. They're not trained in it. And then you get sent to a specialist and you're sat on a list for X amount of years. And they have the same mental issues as adults do. I mean, I've wrote some statistics down that about, you know, self-harming, about suicides. The, the suicide rate in the LG, in the T community is high in LGBT anyway, but in the T community, it's the highest for the, for the percentage, for the number of trans individuals there are, it's the highest across the country. You know, you can't get high. And there is no help for them. They're just saying, well, you're not 18. You can't make a choice. And I think, no, let them explore it. I'm not saying medicate them. I'm not saying give them medication, but there should be that mental health support that's there for anybody anyway. But specialist mental health support, there's not enough of it. There's not enough mental health support anyway. Mm. There's not the specialist for trans kids to say, right, how do you feel? How can we deal with it? How can we help? And you have... And I understand the difficulty for parents because they don't understand it. I'm, I'm talking from a point of view where I understand it and I have a, a grasp of it. But <clears throat> you imagine, you can probably imagine some of your friends and their kids turn around to them and go, oh, I, I want to be a girl or I want to be a boy. And they go, oh, no, don't be silly. It's just a phase. And then they never speak up again, you know, and they bottle it away. And then five years down the line, they start self-harming potentially. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they, you know, they go down the route of, you know, drink, drug, because it's a way to cope. Now, I'm not saying that's what they all do. But that's, mm-hmm. that's one potential. You know, I threw myself into to, to, to male sports. I threw myself absolutely headlong into sports. And I didn't realise what I was doing at the time. I was like, that was my way of coping. I was like, no, no, that, what I'm doing is, yeah, it's, I feel like that, but. No, really, I'm a, I'm really, you know, I'm a manly man. And I speak to the guys I play football and rugby with, and they go, "You're nuts." When you played sport, you're the last person on this planet that we thought would be transgendered. I said, "You." I remember when we played mini rugby, and it was in the snow. You're the only idiot throwing himself around on the floor in the snow. I said, "You were rolling around in the snow like you loved it. <laughs> you dive at people's feet in goal." He said, "You're the only nutcase to throw yourself at somebody's foot." At feet and you used to come up with broken noses and kicks and I said nobody else is nuts enough to do that but you can't throw yourself headlong into these masculine activities to cover things up and you hide away um, and that causes all sorts of issues I had lots of anger issues I was I used to go from zero to everything and I and I and now I look back and I go that's why I did it but you don't learn that until you get older. And some people never understand that because they never get the help. Mm. And to ban kids in America from actually sports meant to be for everybody. You look at all the sports that we play that. So in this country, uh, my, my stepdaughter plays rugby, mixed rugby up to, and she's at sixth form. She plays with the ladies team I'm at. She's, she's 18, just turned 18, but she plays in the, the rugby academy at school. Now, they don't play the matches with the boys, but she trains with the boys. Girls can play football, soccer, up to the age of 19 with boys in competitive games. You're going to take that away. That's, that's a FIFA thing. That's not, that's not a, a, an English FA thing. That's, that's an international law, that you, uh, well, regulation that you can do that. But you're going to take that away from all those kids. All that, the sport's a lifeline for half you know, the kids mm. anyway for the mental benefits, the physical benefits, and then you're going to, and the social benefits of being part of something. And trans kids want to be part of something because they so 
they're not part of something anyway. And then you can turn around and go, mm. well, you can't be part of the girls' volleyball team. Or you can't play netball. Netball's a non-contact sport. Why can't you play netball with the girls? Why can't you, you know, you know, throw a javelin or, you know, do shot put or whatever, you know? Or fish. Or fish. <laughs> yeah, or fi- oh, honestly, that's a non-contact sport. You wouldn't believe how, how, oh, no, you've got an advantage. Why? What is the advantage? <laughs> but people don't see that. All they see is, oh, you're a bloke. You know, you're doing this because you're a cheat. You know, and that's what comments have been passed, been made in the past from sporting stars that they've, oh, I didn't mean it like that. They're doing it to cheat. Well, no, you're doing it to be part of something. You want to be part of something. You want to, you know, you, you guys know when you play sport, it's the camaraderie, it's a social interaction, which is as, as important and as much. And if you're injured, you still go along and support your team. You still mm-hmm. go along and be part of that club. You don't just stop and it just doesn't, you know, because you can't play, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't stop you from being part of that that club. Mm. It, it really is, it's, it winds me up massively. <laughs> it makes me really angry. It sounds like um, you were doing a great job of being a hero in your area and like being an inspiration to people as well. So I think... Um, I don't see myself as that. <laughs> We've well, actually got you a badge. Now, Jake, yeah. it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? It's, it, it takes people to be brave enough to tell their story. And it sounds like in, in your community, you've had so much great support around you that mm. when people hear your story and how, you know, there is, you know, it's it's not just all doom and gloom for everyone. Then it gives people the confidence and the, the comfortable, comfortability. Is that yeah. a word? Is it? I know is what you mean. Yeah, I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Oh, I'm smart. smarter than I word. thought. Yeah, yeah it, it is now. I've, I've coined it. But, you know, it makes them comfortable enough to, to you know, like you say, yeah. explore that feeling when they're 12 or 13 or 14 or whatever it might be and, and not feel like they're yeah. doing something wrong. I, I mean, I think now with social media and certainly, the, you know, the, the children that are coming through schools now are a lot more open to change, a lot more open to the differences in not just LGBT, but race, religion, mm. all of that. They're a lot more understanding and tolerant of it. You know, not saying everybody is, but the vast majority are, you know, because it's a different culture. You know, social media has changed it all. You know, not just schools, but what you see on the news and the TV um, and what you see that is okay and you can go, well, there's a role model there on it. There's somebody acting or there's somebody showing and telling, like you say, telling their story or, you know, there's a program I can go and find help just by looking for a support group and things like that. So there are more avenues now and Mm. people are coming more aware that actually it's okay. It's okay to be different. I mean, you see it all the time as a teacher, you see it all the time with children who are, you know, some go through the gothy phase, some go through, um, you know, it's like girls trying on makeup and boys go through different phases as well with, you know, everybody goes through a phase to find out who they are. And, and this is somebody, this is just something that's different. And it's much like I spoke to somebody the other day who's gay, who went through all the HIV in the eighties and the stigma that went through that. This is kind of the battle we're having now. Mm. It's, it's very much akin to that. It's very much, well, we've accepted gay people, we've accepted lesbian, but this trans thing we don't understand quite, it's different. And now we're going to target that because gay people are quite a big, in the LGBT, the gay, lesbian, bisexual, if you look at the volumes of people, the T is the smallest. Yeah. And it's almost like, oh, let's find the smallest minority we can pick on them because actually people within their own LGBT don't agree with it or struggle with it. People within certain races and religions don't agree with it because it's against their culture. I mean, you look, I mean, I can't go to some countries. If I went to some countries, I'd be locked up. Mm. You know, my wife got offered a job in Qatar when, you know, when I was transitioning to work in one of the airports there to do like managing the cleaning and things like that. It's a really good job opportunity. Told them our situation. uh, Yeah, you can come, but your wife can't. You know, so 
when you explain this to kids, I said, I, I can't even go on holiday to that country anymore. I, I wouldn't even feel comfortable going to America and visiting some of the states that are there. And that's meant to be the country, the land of the free. Well, you're not. No. I, w- I would say that we're very lucky here in the UK. I would say this is the most op- one of the most open countries in the world where you have the most freedoms. Yes, there are. It's not. There are other countries around the world as well. But to be, you have a right to be who you want to be. And there are laws in place to protect you. Now, I'm not saying they're brilliant, but and they could be improved on. But still, I'm allowed to do my job and I've got protections in my job. And if somebody challenges that, I'd hate crime recently and I could phone the police and they would deal with it. So whereas if you go to America, that might not happen. Mm. If you go to places like the Caribbean or you know the Middle East, you know, you've got people who are gay being put in prison who are being hunted down for being gay. Um, I can't even imagine living in a country like that where you can't even stick your head out and for the fear of being killed or your family being killed because you're, you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, pansexual, whatever. And being transgender, in some instances, you know, in a way is less hidden, is a bit more obvious. You can be gay and walk around under a cloak, as it were, because it's more internal than it is external. But for those who have external differences, it makes it more obvious and makes it difficult to then... Particularly for, you know, if you've... Look at somebody like me. I mean, I know my voice isn't particularly feminine. Quite okay with that. Okay? I do try sometimes, but I'm like, it's too much effort. But it's, you know, I look at, you know, like Gareth Thomas, the rugby player. Nobody had a clue for years. Nobody had a clue. Probably one of the most masculine individuals that you ever knew. And then you look at what he did and he came out because the tabloids were going to come out. So he came out and he told and he told all his story about HIV. What an empowering story that was. And like you say, you would have never known under a cloak all those years because he was worried about his position representing his country. Mm. Why should you have to worry about your gender or your sexuality to represent your country in fear of what other people would think and the hate you might get. That's a sad state of affairs that if you live in a place that, you know, or you're involved in a sport that would target you like that, or you're mm-hmm. in a country where 20 states want to ban you from playing in a sport just because you want to be who you want to be. It really, and they're targeting children. That's what's worse. It's not okay to target anybody, but to target the... You're targeting the smallest community and then you're targeting an even smaller community, the ones who can't defend themselves because they can't go to court and, you know, stand up because they can't voice their opinions as eloquently as a solicitor or whoever. And you're targeting, you know, children as young as, you know, six or seven. We're not going to have children that listen to this podcast, but we do hopefully have some adults and then people. What kind of things do you think are important for people like me and Ash to correctly learn or advocate for trans people that we believe in because i know ash and i 100 do um but i can say personally i don't have much experience around transgender people it's just like anything just treat people with respect if if somebody everybody wants to know how they want to be addressed do we call you bex or becky is like so for example there's a chap at the rugby club i'm not going to say his name i love him to pieces he's funny he says look he says I don't get why you are who you are. You're a lovely person. I get it. But if you don't mind, I'm going to call you Martha because you don't know whether you're Martha or Arthur. So he calls me Martha. So that's his way of dealing with it. And he goes, right, Martha, like that. But I'm okay with that because he's not doing it maliciously. It's, you know, um, it's a case of just treating people with any, any, like I would treat anybody with respect that I meet, say hello, good morning. How do you want to be known? You know, I, when I came to the rugby club at Ashford, I just said to the lady, I said, right, it's probably perfectly obvious I'm transgendered. I want to play rugby. I want to help you as much as I can. Call me Bex, Becky, whatever. But again, not every individual is as confident as I am. I mean, you must have come across individuals who are, you know, cis male, female, that are quite, you know, not confident people. And you'll find that, that emotionally, that most trans people probably aren't confident. They're quite shy. You know, they they've got things that they want to hide or they don't want. I'm fortunate. I had my operation. I've had, you know, my body looks the way I want it to look. 
could be a bit thinner. Could be a bit more feminine in certain ways in my voice and stuff, but the people won't feel as confident as I do, and I know that. And it's trying to build their confidence to feel part of something and feel accepted. And most rugby clubs, to be honest, that's why I love rugby. Most rugby clubs, the respect that you've got to show for the referee, the respect you've got to show the other team, that's a given in rugby at whatever level you play at. I mean, I used to play football, and I had and. I used to detest it and I used to detest it as a PE teacher. You go to the games and you've got all them bad mouthing and shouting at the ref. Do you know? And that that's the kind of culture that doesn't make people feel comfortable. You have that kind of banter in sport anyway. You know, you know that if somebody's... And I think that's what gives me an advantage over other people. I grew up having that, that, that jovial banter where you're taking the mick out of your own teammates or you know, your coach and they're taking the mick out of you. And, you know, we, for example, we, we were playing when I first started playing and we started doing the first training session. I picked up two balls. I goes, this is the first time I've had two balls in my hand for a while. <laughs> you, know, but it's, you know, if you can laugh at yourself and take yeah. the joke out of yourself, it makes people, yeah. other people feel comfortable. You, you're trying to put them at ease. But again, most people aren't like that. It'd be good if everyone had the opportunity to have sport growing up because I think sport does allow that. People are sensitive for good reasons in life, but sport allows you to feel included and to understand that not everything has to be so intense and you have the ability to not hold on to things a lot more. So I think that that's really important for everybody to be able to have. I mean, can I ask you guys a question? Um, Have you ever come across a trans individual in, in sport? No, I mean, it's quite interesting that even though we're the first gay rugby club, gay and inclusive rugby club in the world and we're the largest one in in the world we've never had an openly trans player um and it's never happened in london yeah and i'm not sure why that is because there are other igr teams Mm. that have transgender players but we've never never had one i mean i'm from london and i've never come i've never this is the longest conversation i would have known having someone who was an openly trans person and i'm not sure you know i think growing up as a gay person i had my own preconceptions that i was well included in the queer society when that is not true it was still very narrow and very niche um, but I just didn't find myself in those situations. It just it just hasn't happened that way. And I'm not um, I'm not exactly sure why that is. And I never sought it out. I never went out to look to find. I've never been against anyone trying to. I've never been against anyone. No, 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 no not at all. But I just I just wondered if you'd experienced it within you know your club or anything like that or anybody that you'd ever met or anything. But that just shows you if you've not experienced it or you don't know people how tiny. You know, it is. I'm not saying that we've all had a breadth, breadth of experience, but there's such a small minority of people. You know, they make it sound like we're trying to take over all sports. Yeah. And that's that's what it comes across like. And it's like, that's just not the case. You wish more energy was put into things that were actually really, really important and impactful, impactful in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd love to come up and like meet you guys and watch you, you know, when you play rugby season, when it starts again, because you're not too far from me. I mean, I do my trait to see, obviously I have to wear a hairpiece and like I tried wearing a scrum cap because I was self-conscious about my hair. So I don't play with my wig on and I've got hair, but I'm missing a bit of the front there, a bit follically challenged at the front. Ashley knows how, Ashley knows how that feels. (laughs) I'm I'm going that way. I'm a little bit worse than that, um, but <laughs> I, you know. So I play without my hairpiece, and I've got a bit missing. So I, you know, and all the girls were like, "I said I feel really uncomfortable." They said, "Don't be," you know. And the girls made me feel that it was okay, and they they supported me um, through that. And I don't like having my picture taken, like when we have a team photo, I have a cap on or yeah, whatever. But yeah, that's so that's something else I had to contend with, and it's like, oh, you know, I haven't got full head of hair I've got most of my hair but it's just that bit of the front there like ash you know it starts to go as you get older <laughs> i thank my dad for that no way yeah so it's little things like that as well and it's just going yeah it's okay we don't care you know it makes you feel part of something well we would definitely love to have you down and um i think if it's okay with you we wrap it up there because um yeah. that's been wonderful yeah, yeah no, really anytime cool. anytime you want to chat i'm always available beautiful and then we'll go fishing. I saw the size of the fish, Ash, and I'll send you the pictures, but they're fucking huge. And I don't know who's going to be touching those with their hands, but that shit ain't me. I'm straight <laughs> London. <laughs> I'm straight London, bitch. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I do. So I literally, I've got my own. So I've just started up my own business for sea fishing tackle. And I've just started out. I'll do a, a YouTube channel for me, my fishing videos. I'll be there for the eating part. 
yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy to, to prepare some fish for you and yeah. you know, do it on the barbecue. could do some sea bass uh, on the barbecue and stuff like that. I'm there. Good. <laughs> um, Becky, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to meet you guys and it's lovely been chat to chat to you. Absolutely. Thanks, Becky. Thank you, Bex. She's so nice. Lovely. Absolutely lovely. I was um I had the questions to ask, but once she started speaking, she was on a roll, and I was like, "Well, that's that question." I literally went to. I started ticking off. I was like, "I got the answer to that one. I got the answer." The only one I didn't get an answer to is what makes like what is the competitiveness about fishing? I don't get it. I love fishing. So before we were talking about, um, you know, when I just started chatting to her, that she was fishing. And have you ever been fishing before? I went fishing as a kid with my granddad, and I was so bored. Oh, I love it. Maybe I'll go fishing then just uh, with Bex and then you can come and join. You don't even like fish. I, know that, I thought that was really nice of you to say, yeah, I'll come for the food when you don't even like fish. I thought that was really sweet. Well done. No, I've started to like fish more. I wouldn't say I like all fish. Um, I've had salmon a couple of times and um, a few other fish. Like, yeah, as long as okay. it's... I, I don't like slimy fish. I, I imagine if it's barbecued, it might not to be too slimy. The ones you showed mm. me were white fish. So sea bass is a very light um thin very light very white uh, so you'd love it it's uh, like me. yeah kind of fish <laughs> you're not light bitch <laughs> um thank you everyone for another episode of honest to pod you'll catch us on monday for mm -hmm. our segment which is movies matt movies with matt pardon me mm -hmm. and in honor of transgender visibility day um wanted a transgender theme film so that was, uh, well, and it might be in to do with the cast or the actual story itself. So yeah, you'll catch us on Monday. But Matt, thanks for a lovely episode. Thank you, Becky, very much for giving up your time. And thank you listeners for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Bank holiday weekend if you're in the UK. Ireland, did they have a bank holiday weekend? It's Easter. It's okay, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. <laughs> have a good Easter, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>